joy to be in the house of the Lord today. Isn't it, isn't it great to be in God's house? Um, let, me tell you, let me tell you the difference in, uh, in a job as a preacher and, and, uh, and having a calling as a preacher. And some of these fellows that have preached and pastored uh, can relate to, uh, to what I'm about to say. Sometimes preachers come to church wanting to preach a certain message. You know, we're, we're human too. And sometimes we want to come and we want to think, you know, Lord, I really want to preach this. That's what I want to preach today. You know, there everything that's going on in our society and, and uh, sometimes preachers want to come. And we like, man, I want to preach an encouraging message today. One of those barnstormers, I mean, shout it out. Glory, you know, get under the spout where the glory comes out. And sometimes we come to church thinking, man, that's what I want to preach today. But, you know, when you are called to do what God tells you to do, you have to do what God tells you to do. And so uh, God doesn't always tell you to preach a sermon like that. And so last night, for instance, at Brother Seisloff's church, boy, we had fun. That's just fun. That's what that was. And I had asked Brother Seth before we got there, I said, Brother, any certain themes, any certain direction that, that you feel like we want to head or you want to head or the Lord have us head? He said, Preacher, no theme, no direction. He said, this is just jubilee time. We're rejoicing in the, in the goodness of the Lord. I said, praise God, that sounds good. And so I preached last night on thankful for the adverbs last night. We're washed, sanctified, justified. Man, we just had fun last night. It was great. And, and honestly, I wanted to come today, and I wanted to preach a message like that today. Um, but that's not the direction that the Lord has led us, although I think this message is going to be super helpful today. Um, but I want to give you something. I'm going to give you some content today, and I want to give you something that, that uh, I hope will help you. And so Genesis chapter 18 in your Bibles, and I want to preach on the sins of Sodom. The sins of Sodom. And so Genesis chapter 18 in your Bibles, and when you find your place, if you're able to stand, let's all stand out of respect for the reading of God's word. Genesis 18 and verse number 17, the Bible says, and the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham the thing which I do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a, a, a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Boy, look at verse 19. I'm not preaching on this, but look at verse 19. For I know him, God said. For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him. In other words, boy, they're gonna make, he's gonna make sure they follow after his ways. And they shall, talking about his family, his children, his family, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do just, justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. And the Lord said, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous. Man, I looked this up while the choir was singing. I, I, just, I was looking over my text while the choir was singing, and I looked at that word grievous, because their sin is very grievous. And the word grievous there means heavy heavy, but it's got a secondary uh, definition, and it means this, because their sin is insensible. In other words, what they were doing made no common sense. 
They had just completely got to that point where it just didn't make any sense anymore. Insensible is what it's talking about there. He said in verse 21, the Lord said, and this is really remarkable. He said in verse 21, I will go down now and see whether they have done all together according to the cry of it which is coming to me. And if not, I will know. Now, if you go back and read the first part of Genesis chapter 18, you'll find out that three men came to visit with Abraham. We know that one of those was the Lord. There were two angels, but one of those was the Lord. And so it's the Lord in verse 21 that's saying that I will go down now. This is the Lord Jesus and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which is coming to me. And if not, I will know. Somebody says, whoa, 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 wait, wait a minute, preacher. Jesus didn't come around to Bethlehem. No, whoa, 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 whoa. Jesus has always been. And so this is what we call a Christophany here. And so the Lord Jesus is showing up right here in the Old Testament. And the Bible says in verse 22, and the men turned their faces toward thence and went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. Wow. Now I want you to turn over to Genesis chapter 19 and look at verse number 17 with me, if you will. Genesis 19, verse 17. The Bible says, and it came to pass when they, the angels, had brought them, talking about Lot and his family, when they had brought them forth abroad, that he said, escape for thy life. Look not behind thee, neither stay thou in all the plain. Escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. Let me stop just a moment and say this. How can you read a scripture, Brother Mike, that you've read so many, so many, so many times, And yet when you read it, it just absolutely comes alive in a whole new way. And that's that's how this story has been for me this week. In fact, this will not be the last time we're going to visit this, okay? We're going to come back and we're going to give you some other messages from here. But man, this has been so exciting this week. Verse 18, and Lot said unto them, oh, not so, my Lord. In other words, I don't want to escape to the mountain. I've got another idea Behold now thy servant hath found grace in thy sight and thou hast, uh, thou hast magnified thy mercy which thou hast showed unto me in saving my life and I cannot escape to the mountain although that's what you told me to do. And I cannot escape to the mountain lest some evil uh, take me uh, and I die. I can't live according to the will of God. I've, I've got another plan and, and, and my plan will work out better than your plan. Verse 20, behold now, this city is is near to flee unto. It is a little one, and uh, oh, let me escape thither. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. I, I, I can live much better there than I can if I get to the mountain. And he said unto me, see, I have accepted thee concerning this thing also, that I will not overthrow this city for the which thou hast spoken. Haste thee, escape thither, for I cannot do anything Till thou become thither, therefore the name of the city was called Zoar. The Bible says the sun was risen upon the earth when Lot entered into Zoar. Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities and that which grew upon the ground. But his wife looked back. For behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. 
And Abraham got up early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord and he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain and beheld and lo, the smoke of the country went up as the smoke of a furnace. So I want to talk to you a little bit about this subject, the sins of Sodom. And so you may be seated this morning and we're going to pray, jump right into the Bible study. This may be a little bit more like a Bible study than a message today, but I, I think it'll be helpful to you. So let's pray and ask God to, to be with us today. Father, thank you so much for letting us be here today. Thank you for the great music. Thank you for the wonderful special that Brother Mike just did. Thank you for the choir. Lord, it's been wonderful. Thank you for the congregational music. It's just been so good. Lord, thank you for the Sunday school time. My goodness, it was so good today. And Lord, we've been encouraged. And I believe that as the psalmist said, we are gonna be able to go home saying it was good to be in the house of the Lord today. And Father, I pray now as we take just a few moments and we organize into a Bible study, I pray that you'll give us something that would help us to be the Christians that you desire us to be. I pray, God, in just a few moments when we're exiting this building, Lord willing, God, I pray that we will exit being better Christians than we were when we first entered earlier this morning. And so, Father, fill us with the Holy Spirit. I pray that your presence and your power would be here today. And God, I pray that you would accomplish your will. Hide us behind the cross. And I pray that you'll accomplish your will. Save that one that's near as hell. And encourage that one that's discouraged. Heal our sick. And Lord, just do miraculous things here in the church, please. And we pray that the blessed and wonderful Son of God would receive the glory and the praise and the honor from all that's done. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And for his sake and all God's people said, amen. And so what were the actual sins that caused God to totally annihilate Sodom. And he did annihilate Sodom. In fact, there are some who deny, if you start studying this out, you'll find out that there are a lot of different, a lot of different opinions and a lot of different so-called scholars out there. And some deny that Sodom and Gomorrah even existed. One of the reasons is because archaeologists to this day are not able to recover any evidence that Sodom ever existed. And since they can't find any relics and they can't find any evidence, they say, well, what it, what it is is this, bi this Bible story is just symbols or typology. It was a parable, a fable, and... Uh, uh, and really, it never happened. I just want to say real quickly, we know it happened. Yeah. You say, well, preacher, how can you be so sure? Because my Bible says it happened. And if my Bible says it happened, it happened. And if the Bible says it happened like it happened, it happened like it happened. Now, I purposely picked this slide today because this is a place. This, this is an actual real place. My wife and I had the opportunity. We didn't get to visit the Dead Sea, but we did get to drive by the Dead Sea and we were able to see it from a distance. And Lord willing, when, when we go back to uh, the Holy Land as a church, Lord willing, we'll be able to actually visit the Dead Sea. But this is a place that is south at the, at the southeastern tip 
of, uh, of the Dead Sea. It's a place called Lot's Wife. Uh, it's a rock formation, and some people even believe, they believe this is it. They believe this is the place where God turned Lot's wife into a pillar of salt. And, if, and from distant, not, not necessarily this slide, but from distant, uh, a different vantage points, it does take on the appearance of a woman who's turning. And they believe that as Lot's wife turned, that God turned her into a, a pillar of salt. And so tradition says this is Lot's wife. Now, we don't know that. In fact, they're not sure this is where Sodom was. There's no evidence. They believe that it was down there at the southeastern tip of the Dead Sea. But, but we do know this. We know it existed. Somebody said, but, but pastor, if that's the case and archaeologists haven't been able to find any relics and they've not found any ruins and they, they've not found any evidence of Sodom and Gomorrah existing, then how do we know uh, it was there? And why do they not find any evidence? Why do they not find any ruins? And this is the reason, because I believe God wiped it off the face of the earth. In fact, we read that this morning. The Bible says that God rained fire and brimstone and it literally wiped everything away, including that which grew upon the ground. Let me tell you how intense it was. Abraham lived in a place called Mamre or, or, or Hebron. And, and, and so Abraham is, is, is way up uh, at a place called Hebron and, and if, if Sodom was down toward the southeastern, southeastern point of the Dead Sea, then you're talking at least 50 miles. And the Bible says that the next day after God rained fire and brimstone down upon Sodom and Gomorrah, our Bible says that Abraham rose up living in Hebron or Mamre, and the Bible says that 50 miles away, and by the way, it's not flat. It's very mountainous. And yet the Bible says that as Abraham looked the direction of Sodom, that the smoke rose up like a great furnace. You know what I believe? I believe God wiped it clean. God wiped the slate clean. But here's our, here's our question. What was the sin or sins that so infuriated God that he would allow uh, his fury to fall in such a unique way? Now, we know they had sin. The Bible tells us they had sin. We can read about some of that sin that took place there in the book of Genesis. But what, But was there sins or, or were there certain sins that pushed God beyond his limit of mercy and caused him to rain fire and brimstone down upon Sodom and Gomorrah? Genesis chapter 18, verses 20 and 21. We read that just a moment ago. Our Bible tells us there was definitely sin. The Bible says in verse number 20, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great and because their sin is very very grievous. And so we understand that there was sin. But here's my question. Was there a certain sin? Or were there certain sins that just made God so angry that God finally just wiped Sodom off the face of the earth? And the answer to that question is yes, there were. And we could guess at it all day long, but here's the great thing about the word of God. You don't have to guess at it. Because if you rightly divide scripture, and by the way, you've heard me say this before, but this book's like a treasure chest. And oddly enough, this week, as I was studying in the book of Ezekiel, 
And reading in the book of Ezekiel, I found in the book of Ezekiel, with the help of the Lord, I found in the book of Ezekiel the actual sins that caused God to judge Sodom. I want to show them to you if I could. Would you take your Bibles and turn to Ezekiel chapter 16? Ezekiel 16. And look, if you will, please, at at verse number 49. And if nothing else, church, this has just got to be super interesting uh, that we, we, we find exactly what it was that caused God to judge Sodom and Gomorrah in such a, a unique way. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 16 and verse number 49. Now, I guess this is the moral of the message. If we can figure out what it was, that caused God to judge Sodom so, so uh, uh, immediately powerful, then maybe if we can steer clear of these same sins, then maybe, just maybe, God will continue to, to send his mercy and his grace upon America. Look at it with me. Ezekiel chapter 16 and verse number 49. And Ezekiel the prophet says, Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy, and they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw good. Now, let's, let's deal with this list just a little bit today. And we'll put a few things up, up here on your screen. How about this? Number one, we see, first of all, the sin of pride. Now look what he says. Behold, this was the iniquity. This is it. These are the sins. This was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. And the first one on the list is pride. It's the Hebrew word gaon. It means arrogancy or pomp or swelling. And I thought this church, it's very interesting that as we read the book of Ezekiel, that pride is the very first sin mentioned. Not the only time that happens. In fact, if you go to Proverbs chapter six, you don't have to go there this morning, but in Proverbs chapter six, God gives us a list of seven things that God absolutely hates. And he said the seventh is an abomination to God. And the very first one on the list is the sin of pride. Proverbs 6, verse 16 says it like this. These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. And verse 17 starts the list, and it says this, a proud look. In other words, God said the number one thing on my hate list, the thing that just gets me, the thing that just makes me so angry is this thing of pride. God hates pride. By the way, but we're hearing a lot about pride nowadays, aren't we? I mean, it's on the commercials. It's on, uh, you know, it's in the magazines. It's, it's in the newspaper. It's all over the television. You know, pride, 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 pride. And I just want to tell us today, church, that God hates pride. In fact, our Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 16, verse number 18, that pride always precedes destruction. Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And in James chapter four and verse number six, our Bible teaches this, that God resists the proud, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Now you say, pastor, what does that mean? God resisteth the proud. I don't understand that. God resisteth the proud. Hey, have you ever seen someone resist arrest? 
where the police officer is trying to get their arms behind their back and put their hand, put handcuffs on them and they're resisting. They're, they're, you know, they're in a wrestling match and they're resisting and trying to get away from the officer and, and that's exactly what he's talking about there. And, and from time to time, people say, preacher, I don't know why I can't get a hold of God. I, I want to get a hold of him. I, I, I want to be with him. I want him to answer my prayers. But our Bible says that God resists the proud. He doesn't want to be around the proud. He doesn't, doesn't want to answer the, the prayers of the proud. And so, hey, Calvary, let's be, let's be sure that we understand something, that God hates pride. I love this. Someone said, God wisely designed the human body so that we can neither pat our own backs nor kick ourselves too easily. I love what John Bunyan said. He said this, he that is down needs fear no fall. He that is low, no pride. He that is humble ever shall have God to be his guide. And Dale Moody said this. He said, I believe that the moment our hearts are emptied of pride, selfishness, and everything that is contrary to God's law, the Holy Spirit will fill every corner of our hearts. Now, Calvert, listen, let me just give you a very simple admonition. Give us a simple admonition. Be careful about pride. Man, don't ever let pride come in. And God's doing great things at Calvary Baptist Church, but Calvary Baptist Church don't ever let pride come in. And you may be here and maybe your business is really going well and man, you're excelling and I mean, you're bringing the money in and your bank accounts are growing and I mean, everything's going great and boy, you used to drive a jalopy and now you drive an expensive car and I mean, you've got the best car that money can buy. You've got the, a big house and by the way, nothing wrong with that, nothing wrong with that at all. But I'm just saying this, whatever we do, make sure that you always steer clear of pride because God hates pride. I love this little story. A preacher found a shoebox in the closet. He opened it and he found some strange contents inside. Inside was an egg carton with five eggs. But next to the eggs was a stack of bills that totaled over $10,000 in cash. As soon as his wife walked through the door, he stopped her and asked her if she knew anything about this odd combination. She said, yes, dear. After we got married, she said, I decided that after every sermon you preached, if it was a bad one, I would put an egg in the shoebox. And the preacher thought with pride, wow. All the years they'd been married and been together and that only five eggs were in the box. He said, but honey, what about the $10,000 in cash? And she said, well, sweetie, every time I got a dozen eggs, I sold them. <laughs> Some of you get that on the slow train tomorrow, all right? Hey, be careful about pride. Pride will, pride will bring you low. But not only the sin of pride, but this is really probably, we'll hit three more if we can, but this is really the one I want to hit the most today. It's what I'm going to call the sin of perception. Now look back at Ezekiel chapter 16, verse number 49. And Ezekiel says, behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Number one, pride. But then number two, he says, fullness of bread. You say, pastor, what does that mean? 
Evidently, in some ways, Sodom perceived that they were doing so good that they didn't even need God. It was a complacency apart from the Lord. Evidently, Sodom had become so rich and so prosperous and, and, uh, and man, they, just, they were just full of everything they felt like they needed that they got to the place where they felt like, you know what, we really don't even need God. Now, Calvary, I want to help us right there. And this is probably the one this week that God just really, really uh, burned in my spirit. And, and, and even if we don't get to the other ones, I want to take a little time right here. Uh, we have to be very, very careful about self-sufficiency and complacency. Did you know that this, can, that this, that this pos is possible for individuals to fall into this trap? Now, we won't go there this morning, but you can jot it down. Luke chapter 12, the Bible tells us an interesting story about a rich, what the Bible calls a rich fool. He is a farmer of some kind, and, and the Bible says that, man, his crops are producing, and I mean, he has a banner year. He uh, harvests all of his crops, and he brings them into the barn, and, and he has such a great year that his barns aren't big enough to hold all the crops. And so he steps back, he looks at all of his prosperity and his success, and he says, what am I gonna do? And he said, this is what I'll do. I'm making so much money, and I'm bringing in so much business. He said, I'll tear down these little barns, and I'll build big, giant, vast barns, and I'll put all the produce in here, and I'll sell them, make a lot of money. And then he said this, he said, I'll just take my ease, and I'll eat, drink, and be merry, and I won't worry about the rest, uh, anything the rest of my life. And the Bible says that God came to him that night and said, thou, fool this night thy soul shall be required of thee in other words he got to that place where he thought man I'm doing good I'm doing so good I don't need God I've got a great job I, I drive a nice car I've got a beautiful home I mean I've got a wonderful sofa to sit on I've got a I've got a, a, you know posturopedic bed to sleep in I've got the best of the best and life is good and uh, I, you know what I don't need anything in fact I don't even need God and by the way church just in case you're wondering if we're there we're there and that's why when you invite folks to church, they almost laugh at you as if to say, I don't need your church. I don't need your God. I don't need prayer. I don't need the Bible. And my dear friend, if we're not careful, it's easy for individuals to fall into this trap. But not only individuals, it's possible for churches to fall into that trap. Now hold your place at Ezekiel, if you will, and I want you to turn with me to Revelation chapter three. Revelation chapter number three. And look, if you will, at verse number 14. Now, we have paid tribute to this several times in several messages. And I'm not exactly sure why the Lord would have me go back here again, except maybe the Lord's just sending us a very uh, ample warning at Calvary Baptist Church. But we notice in Revelation chapter three that the church of Laodicea is referenced here. And, 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 and most scholars believe that, that the church of Laodicea is a type of the church age we're living in right now. And look what it says about this church. 
In Revelation chapter 3, verse number 14, the Bible says, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, Jesus said, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Now look at verse number 17. I've got it emboldened. I've got it highlighted. And he said this, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And Brother Mike referenced it this morning, but it is so true. In a lot of churches, they feel like we're doing okay. We've got a beautiful campus. We've got a beautiful facility. We've got the highest technology that money can buy. I mean, we pay our preacher a, a high dollar and he's got so many degrees after his name. He looks like a, he looks like a, a thermostat or something. And they just feel like, you know what, we're doing okay. Our choir's been trained by the best. We have the most talented singers. We have the most talented musicians. You see, we know how to do church. Now, I want to tell you, my dear friend, that is a danger. That's a very dangerous place to get when you get to a place where you think, you know what, God, we know how to do church. We know how to do Christianity. In fact, we know how to do it so well. We really don't need to. And if we need you, we'll call you. And my dear friend, Jesus has exited a a lot of churches. He's not there. The touch of God is not there. The breath of God is not there. The Holy Ghost is not there. Oh, listen, Calvary Baptist Church, whether we know it or not, we need God. We need God. We need God more than we need a program. We need God more than we need a preacher. We need God more than we need a schedule. We need God more than we need a campus. Hey, we need the touch of God at Calvary Baptist Self-sufficiency. It's possible for an individual to fall into that trap. It's possible for a church to fall into that trap. It's possible for a nation to fall into that trap. Boy, hear me out. Abraham Lincoln proclaimed a day of national humility, fasting and prayer in 1863. And this is what he said. We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We've been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We've grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. Listen to this now. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace. Too proud to pray to the God that made us all. Oh that God could give us a president like that again. You know what he was saying, church? He was saying America has got to the place where they feel like we're doing okay. We're doing all right. Man, I didn't, I didn't have this in the outline, but I just, I remember though, and it just goes so well right now. When our kids were little, when our kids were small, 
they were just starting to form some of the seatbelt laws. And so sometimes we would drive around with the kids. We didn't always put them in seatbelts. And y'all know what I'm talking about. Some of the cars didn't even have seatbelts. And if you had seatbelts, a lot of times you just sort of pushed them through the seat, you know, and, and you didn't use them. Mom would slam on the brakes and she had that automatic seatbelt. You know what I'm talking about? You know? Like the old bus arm, you know? And, and uh, But anyway, we'd be coming down Indian Hill Road when the kids were small. I think about Hannah when Hannah was just a little, little tiny thing. She'd be sitting in the back seat and I'd say, hey, honey, you want to help, help daddy drive? And she'd say, yeah. She'd crawl across the seat. Man, she'd get up in the front. I'd put her on my lap. She'd put her hands on the steering wheel and I'd put my big hands over hers and we'd come down to any hill road and, and she'd always look over to mama and I'd pay attention to the road. She'd always look over to mom. She'd say, mommy, I'm driving. Mommy, I'm driving. That happened many times. Coming down the road. And I'd say, hey, honey, you want to drive? You want to help daddy drive? Yeah. She'd jump across the seat in my lap, hands right there. I'd take my big old hands, put my hands over hers and uh, mommy, I'm driving, I'm driving. And then one day it happened. We're coming down the road. And I said, hey, honey, you want to help daddy drive? She jumped across that seat. She got up there on my lap. She put her little hands on that steering wheel. And about that time, I got ready to put my big hands over hers. And she looked back and she said, daddy, I want to do it by myself. I don't want you to help me. I want to do it by myself. So I let her. She's going down through there, smiling ear to ear. Mommy, I'm driving. Mommy, I'm driving. and not paying attention to the road. And all of a sudden, the wheels start running off the road. Hi, <laughs> Daddy, hi, help. Why tell that story, preacher? It's where America is. I mean, for, for many, many, many years, America said, God, would you please? We can't do this by ourselves. We got to have your help. God, would you take your big, mighty hands and put your hands over ours and Lord, would you steer us and God, would you guide us in the, in, in the place that we ought to go and Lord, would you take us to the right destination and, and for many, many years, things were going good like that. Listen, I don't know if you know this or not. Man, we've left the outline. I'm just preaching right now, amen. Hey, I don't know if you know this or not, but when I was a kid and I went to school, we didn't have to walk through metal detectors and, and they didn't check us for uh, guns and drugs and we didn't have drug sniffing dogs in the, uh, in the school and we didn't have resource officers. It was really just a fancy name for having police on the school campus and uh, we didn't have to have armed guards and uh, you know what, you just walked into school and nobody thought anything about it. And by the way, by the way, uh, every other boy would pull into the parking lot with a Ford Ranger and a 12-gauge shotgun in the back window and nobody ever thought a thing about it. They knew what that was for. It was for squirrel hunting or rabbit hunting and nobody ever thought anything about that. And now, my dear friend, you got to walk into the school system uh, through metal detectors and you got guards and armed guards and drug dogs and all these kind of things. You say, Pastor, what's going on? I'll tell you what's going on. Somewhere along the line, we looked at God and said, God, we don't need you to help us drive. We can do this on our own. And my dear friend, America has ran off the rails. We ran off the road. We're in a, I mean, listen, we're in the worst mess and the worst wreck we've ever been in. And what we ought to do as a nation is call out to a holy God and say, God, we're sorry. Would you forgive us? Oh, we repent. Hey, God, put your hands back on the wheel again. 
Oh, yes. Self-sufficiency. I'm talking about a complacency. Where people feel like they're doing so good, they don't even need God. We believe in America that sports are more important than God is important. It's true. You say, well, what's y'all's policy? Man, I'm going really, I'm to I'm make somebody mad now. I didn't mean to do this. What's y'all's policy, preacher? What's your church policy on Super Bowl Sunday night? Our church policy is preaching. Preaching. Our church policy is make sure you don't get home before halftime show. Because it's nothing any child of God ought to be watching. We believe science is more important than God. There's been a fellow on the news this week. His name's Andrew Cuomo. Hey, don't forget what I said at the first of the message. Pride goeth before a fall. He had to resign this week, by the way. During a press conference on April the 13th, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo contended that God has nothing to do with the notable decrease in COVID-19 cases across the state. The number is down because we brought the number down. He told reporters, God did not do that. Faith did not do that. Destiny did not do that. A lot of pain and suffering did that. Como, a professing Catholic, continued, that's how it works. It's math. And I want to tell you, Mr. Cuomo, listen, uh, what you really need is to get a good dose of salvation and get born again by the grace of God. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, Calvary, you know what we need at Calvary Baptist Church? You know what we need in America? You know what we need in our homes? You know what we need in our marriages? We need God. That's what we need. We need a touch of the Holy Ghost. We need God to breathe on us and help us in our marriages and our homes and our families. You say, Pastor, I'm having such a time with my kids. I don't know what to do. Can you give me some advice? I can. Fall on this altar and say, oh God, if you don't help me, I don't know what I'm going to do. I got to have your help. I got to have your help with my teenagers. I got to have your help in my marriage. I got to have your help in my ministry. I got to have your help in my finances. Oh God, oh God, we need you. Somebody said, familiarity always breeds contempt. You say, Pastor, what does that, what's that, what's that even mean? Familiarity is the idea of taking for granted. I want to encourage us as God's people, don't wait for the blessings of God to be gone before you start appreciating the God that gave them. Emerson said this, he said that if the stars came out only once a year, everybody would stay up all night to behold them. But we've seen the stars so often that we don't bother to look at them anymore. We've grown accustomed to our blessings. Don't take this wrong, church. You know, when we tend to give the most thought 
to air conditioning when it stops working. When it's 94 degrees and a high humidity and all of a sudden we come home and the house is excessively hot and all of a sudden we're like, oh man, oh, we gotta call somebody. We gotta get somebody out here right away. Man, I'm so thankful for air conditioning. That's all I'm saying. Maybe we ought to be thankful for the air conditioning while the air conditioning is running. And maybe we ought to be thankful for the rain while it's raining. And maybe we ought to be thankful for God while God has blessed you. And just say, God, we got to have you. Yes, things are going good. Yes, my marriage is all right. My family's doing well. Thank God my kids are, my kids are going to church. And, and I'm thankful for, for all those things. But God, I just want you to understand something. I can't do this without you. I got to have you. I got to have you. Now, I got two more points. We're not going to get those today. I think this is where, I think, I think this is where we need to stop. Hey, Calvary, we need God. But it's so easy, it's so easy if we're not careful. It's so easy. And I don't know why we're like this, but sometimes we just get to the place where we think, I'm all right. I'm okay. But I'm going to tell you something. We're not okay. We're not okay. And God is blessing this church in a supernatural way, a miraculous way. But I'm going to tell you something. If we ever get to the place where we think we can do this on our own, look out for this place to crumble. We need God. Would you bow your heads with us all over the house today? Father, thank you for this reminder. Oh, God, would you keep your hands on the wheel? God, would you put your hands over ours? God, today, somebody needs to make their way to an old-fashioned altar, and today they need to say, God, please put your hands on my marriage. We've got to have it. God, we need you to steer. Lord, somebody ought to run to this altar and say, Heavenly Father, I need you to steer my home. We've tried it without you for so long. I'm in the mess of my life. I need you to steer. God, I need you to guide. Lord, I pray that you'd help ministry leaders, teachers, Sunday school teachers, ministry workers. God, today, maybe to tiptoe down to this old-fashioned altar. And then I'll stay long, but Lord, maybe today, come down and just breathe a prayer and say, oh God, I just want to remind you, I need you. I got to have you. Lord, I can't play the instrument by myself. I can't sing in the choir by myself. I can't do a special by myself. I've got to have you. Oh, Heavenly Father, breathe on us. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Just a question or two. How many are here today would say, Brother Steve, if I died today, 
I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I'm on my way to heaven. If you and the Lord, between you and the Lord, if you can say yes to that without anybody looking, would you just slip your hand up? You'd say, Pastor, I know, I know, I know. Praise the Lord. You can lower your hands. Let me ask you this, though. Is there one anywhere across the house? And you'd say, Pastor, if I died right now, I'm not sure that I would go to heaven. But I'm sure I want to go. Preacher, I want to go, but I'm just not sure about it. And I care enough to slip up my hand and let you pray for me. Without anybody looking right now, you just slip your hand up. Would you, would you raise it? Bless you. God bless you. Thank you so much. Is there another? Come on. You may have to raise it up and sort of wave at me. I see that hand. Thank you. Is there another? Is there another? Can I pray for you today? Right now, you'd slip your hand up and say, Pastor, if I died, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about heaven, but I'm sure I want to go. You'd pray for me. I see that hand. I see that hand. Thank you so much. I would say, Calvary, we need some prayer warriors to be praying right now. Well, I'm glad I had somebody praying for me when I was lost. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to ask our personal workers if they would very quietly make their way to the front. In just a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to have what we call an invitation. A lot of folk have already come. But if you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I am not sure about heaven, but I'm sure I want to go. Here's what we'd like to do. We're not going to make you give a speech. We're not going to ask you for anything like that. But we would like to do this. We'd like to take the Bible and just show you from the Bible how you can know that you're going to heaven when you die. I'll make you a promise. That's all we'll do. That's all we'll do. We'll not embarrass you but we sure would like to share Jesus with you. And so all over the house, would you stand with us this morning? Father, thank you for this time we've had together. We're so unworthy of your presence. God, I don't know exactly why you meet with us like you do outside of it's just grace. Lord, I thank you for the presence of the Lord. And God, I'm so thankful for these that have raised their hands and been real honest. They've been real honest today. And Lord, just the fact that they would raise their hand tells me that the Lord is working in their heart. So Father, I pray right now that you'd give them boldness. I pray that you'd give them courage to step out. And we have some folks that would like to speak with them and show them how they can know that they know they're going to heaven. Lord, please assure them we're not going to embarrass them in any way. We just want to try to help them. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. If you raise your hand, I'm going to ask you to do something super bold. I'm going to ask you right now. I'm going to ask you to come. We've got Brother Brandon over here, Brother Tim, Charles. We've got Brother Ronnie over here. And if you raise your hand, said, Pastor, I'm not sure about heaven, but I'm sure I want to go. 
I want you to do something right now. I want you to step toward the aisle and I want you to make your way down. We see you coming. We'll meet you. And we want to pray with you today. Would you come while we wait? Would you come? We're rooting for you. We're praying that God will, will give you courage. I remember the day, I remember the day when I didn't know for sure that I was going to heaven. And I'm so glad that someone took the time to tell me how I could know. Oh, what a happy day that was. Honestly, church, it was like 10,000 pounds was lifted off my shoulders. We're talking about being able to go home and sleep in peace, not having to worry about going to hell, knowing that my name was written in heaven. Man, what a joy. What a peace that was. I want to encourage you to come. Heavenly Father, I pray now that you'll bless in this invitation. And right now, God, I pray that you give folks courage to take a step of faith. And Father, help them to realize that if they'll take the first step, that you'll help them with the second one. And so, Lord, help us now, I pray. Help us, I pray. Lord, I pray that folks are praying right now. I pray our folks are praying. And Lord, help folks understand that that, Lord, someone will come with them if they want someone to come with them, that all they need to do is just ask them, would you go with me? And, Lord, they'll come. They'll come. Father, help folks to respond. Have your way, please. Do that which only you can, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. We'll sing in a moment, but before we sing, this is your opportunity. Will you come?